Want to get the edge with your Premier League betting predictions? Pinnacle have teamed up with InfoGoal to delve deeper into the data for all the Premier League matches each game week. You combine betting market data with InfoGoal's performance data to try and find Pinnacle customers' value in the odds. This is EPL Insights. It's the final weekend of the Premier League season, and I'm your host, Gareth Wheeler, and I'm joined by Jake Osgathorpe from Infigol App. And it's kind of funny here, and maybe even fitting here in 2022, that our first show together is coming on the final game week of the Premier League season. Up is down, left is right. It's just the world that we're living in. Jake, it's a pleasure. This is going to be great uh, getting into this project with you. This is kind of a taste of what's upcoming because we're going to really launch this in earnest next week. You and I breaking down the Premier League each and every week. Yeah, really looking forward to it, Gareth. Um, you know, I think you say there we've joined on the final game week, but there's so much to discuss, isn't there, ahead of what is set to be a really interesting final day um, with a lot of really, really interesting angles at the top and the bottom of the Premier League. So really looking forward to diving in. And like you said, long-term partnership, looking forward to next season as well. Well, you're right about this weekend. Sunday should be absolutely massive. We have a relegation battle to deal with. We have top four implications. We have a champion to crown. And for Manchester United, will it be Europa League? Will it be Conference League? These are the big, that's the big story of the weekend, Jake. So uh, let's get into it. And we'll start at the bottom with the relegation battle. How do the, how do the odds look uh, for each and every one of these three teams in terms of who's favored to stay up and who's looking like their odds on to go down? Yeah, the, the team that's odds on currently is Leeds. Um, and you alluded to it there that, Everton and Burnley having an extra game over Leeds is crucial really to why those odds are are the way they are because Leeds goal difference means that even if Burnley only get a point from now to the end of the season and Leeds lose on the final day, they will go down. Uh, And that's the way the Infocom model sees it as well. We currently have Leeds at a 55.7% chance of being relegated, Burnley at 37.6%. But right now uh, it's Leeds that are favoured to go down. Uh, Burnley at Newcastle at home in their final game uh, leads in the run into this season. Uh, it seems like Burnley and Everton have been trying to make up these games. They've come up with some big results along the way as well. Leads at Brentford this weekend. That's a tricky one for them, isn't it? Oh, it's, that is immensely difficult. Um, not only because Leeds aren't fantastic away from home, but Brentford are really good at home. Uh, they actually have the seventh best home expected goals process in the entire Premier League this season. Um, and, you know, we saw last weekend, they're, they're not throwing the towel in, they're not on the beach yet. They went to Everton, they turned around a, a 1-0 deficit early doors and won that game 3-2. And, I'm, you know, that there's still some needle between those two teams um, from the championship days. I think Leeds, Brentford, the old quote marks around their mind, the gap, which is what um, Leeds fans were, were sort of haggling at Brentford. Um, so I'm pretty sure Brentford will want to do all they can to, uh, to beat Leeds. And, and I do think that the price of plus one two six for a Brentford win is really, really good value. I think that's something that has to be backed because Brentford are really, really strong at home. Leeds have been all over it this season. I mean, the goals conceded defensively, one of the weakest, you know, aside from North City, who are just absolutely in a league of their own. I mean, <laughs> Leeds have been struggling so, so much from a defensive perspective. I do think there's something to be said about managerial changes. The two sides that are already going down in Watford and North City they changed their manager. Now you have Michael Jackson, Jesse Marsh, um, and, and Frank Lampard as the managers of the three teams trying to stay up. Have any of these sides shown 
any sort of uh, substantial change or had substantial benefit based upon the managerial change that we can take into consideration when we're weighing up their odds, how they might fare this weekend? Yeah, um, all three of them have, to be fair. All three have, uh, have sort of kicked on in the right direction from a, a number standpoint. I'll start with Leeds because obviously Jesse Marsh came in and um, I, I don't know about you, but I thought there was a really odd decision to sack Marcelo Bielsa at the time. I mean, granted, they'd just been hammered by, I think it was Man United, Tottenham uh, and Liverpool back to back to back. But if, you know, if, you, if, if you're going to sack every manager that loses to three of the big six every season, there's going to be a lot of managers that are going to get sacked. Um, where Bielsa's bread and butter was, was beating the teams in and around them. And that was something they did very well last season when they finished in the top half. And it was something they were doing really well this season. Um, and to be fair to Jesse Marsh, I don't think he could have done much more since he's come in. Uh, the underlying process that they posted, around 1.5 expected goals for per game, 1.6 against, that's, that, that's a mid-table process. So he's, you know, they're not performing like a relegation candidate. Um, and if we exclude the three games that they played against Chelsea, Man City and Arsenal, that process against effectively the rest uh, jumps to around 1.8 and 1.36. So really, really strong levels. Um, Burnley, since sacking Sean Dyche, their attacking process has taken off. Um, they, it was almost like defensive football under Dyche was holding them back. Uh, it's gone from 1.1 expected goals for per game up to 1.7 since Mike Jackson took charge. So they're creating a lot more mm. chances. Um, and Everton, 13 of their 17 points collected uh, have actually come at home, which is where they've done most of the damage. And that's the main reason that they've sort of stayed up. And with Everton, when Lampard was appointed, we looked at the running and thought that they would be a massive problem because they had, I think they had all the big six to play. Uh, but what we didn't, well, what perhaps overlooked was the fact that they had majority of their games at home. Uh, and that's proved to be really, really key because their underlying process at home has been very, very solid. Uh, sticking on leads for a second, I mean, part of the problem with that with that squad as well is being players coming in and out of the team, very important players as well. Still, it's a group that's dealing with a number of injuries, they've dealt with suspensions as well. Do they have enough to go to Brentford and at least pick up a point here? Like, it's a tough run in for Burnley here as well, but you have to think that Leeds need to get something from this away fixture at Brentford. They do, yeah. Um, I think they'll struggle. Uh, as I mentioned before, Brentford have been really, really, really good this season, um, particularly at home. And, and you, you said it there, injuries have really played Leeds all season long. Um, and I think ultimately that, that has to lie with the people who own the club and who run the club because the, mm. the, the squad there is extremely thin uh, and the quality gap between the starting eleven and the people or the bench players and, and the, the reserves effectively it is massive. So when Calvin Phillips doesn't play, you feel the impact. When Liam Cooper doesn't play, you feel the impact. When Patrick Bamford doesn't play, you feel the impact. So, um, you know, the, the, there's a lot of question marks there, to be honest, about the hierarchy and, and the way in which they've dealt with things since getting back into the Premier League by not sort of bulking that squad out and making it a bit more competitive. And um, and then you, you add into the fact that you've got a thin squad and you had a manager in Bielsa who worked the players ex extremely hard. Um, and, and, you know, tiredness creeps in occasionally. Um, they're pretty relentless with the way in which they pressed. Uh, and all of these have, have sort of created a perfect storm for these to have a really poor season and, and be looking um, like relegation is a real possibility. So um, yeah, it, it's going to be tricky. They are missing some of the better players still. Um, and I, every time I watch Calvin Phillips with them and he doesn't look like himself, it looks like no. he's potentially been rushed back from injury. Um, and it, you know, we, we saw him at the Euros. He was sensational for England. Um, but he, for whatever reason, he's not been able to find that form this season. Injuries have obviously hampered that. Uh, but it, it, when he doesn't play and when he's not at 100%, Leeds look a different team. 
Uh, Phillips, Bamford, same story with Patrick Bamford and 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 obviously Stuart Dallas, a crucial uh, blow, uh, breaking his leg in the run-in um, here. Uh, such an important player for this side. I'm looking at Burnley, plus 155 to go down. There has to be some value there, isn't it? Because Michael Jackson did well. They won the first two games on the hop after we replaced Sean Deitch. But it's the injury issues at the back. I, I understand about the attacking model that's changed with the new manager, but Ben Mee doesn't look like he'll feature whatsoever. James Tarkovsky has been out as well. Looks like he has a chance to come back in. These two players are just so important, providing a platform for everything that Burnley attempts to do on a weekly basis. They do. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I've, I've been impressed with the way in which they've dealt with those absentees really, because any other season taking out two of the best or their two best defenders, the two starting defenders would be a massive issue. Um, but all the data suggests that it's not had too much of an impact. So okay. I think he's, he's been in charge of six games, Mike Jackson, and only against West Ham and Tottenham. So two of the sort of, you know, top upper class of the Premier League, um, have they looked really, really exposed defensively uh, and created a lot of decent chances. In the other four matches against the, the rest, the teams in which they would fancy the chances against, they've actually only allowed 1.2 expected goals against per game, which is a a really, really good total. And, and it shows that, you know, that not only the shift in um, momentum in, in terms of them trying to play more attacking, expansive style, but also the, the sort of the change in formation and, and the, the sort of possession-based football has lended itself to not only creating more chances, but also limiting their opponents. And, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if Burnley picked up points in both their remaining matches. Um, I think Newcastle at home, they're plus 141 currently. Um, I think they'll win that game. I know Newcastle put on a big performance against Arsenal on Monday, but my theory is when you get to the end of the season and you've got teams with nothing to play for, they always, always turn up for the final home game of the season because it's a sellout crowd and they want to give the fans something to, to be happy with across the summer. Um, the final away game of the season tends to be a different uh, kettle of fish. Um, motivation is a huge factor and I'm surprised. The surprise that Burnley are that price, given the motivation, uh, is heavily on Burnley's side. Um, I thought they'd be a little bit shorter, to be honest. And everything I've said about their process as well, uh, I think that they could, they could get a win against Newcastle and, and that would almost certainly guarantee them safety in my book. It's a perfect transition into discussing the top four, the battle for the final Champions League spot. Spurs, a massive favorite at present time, just really ascending after that North London Derby victory. They've been on good form. Arsenal have completely uh, gone pear-shaped here. I mean, uh, Pinnacle put up a board. Uh, it, it, it basically spans from January to March into May and kind of listed the favorites at that time to go on and, and, and accomplish Champions League football and finish top four on the season. In January, it was United and Spurs that were favorite. Then it was Arsenal being tipped basically all the way through before that North London derby. And things just have simply not worked out. Uh, how much of Arsenal capitulated here and how much of a chance? I mean, again, it's 2022 when you're using the word, the, the term Spursy to discuss <laughs> the, the, their North London derby rivals in, in Arsenal. Uh, how has this gone so wrong for Mikel Arteta's side here? And uh, is there any chance based upon your modeling to suggest that, you know, they're still alive in the top four and they actually come away with a, with the top four finish here? Uh, there is a chance. There is a chance. Um, you know, it's, it's not a hundred percent guaranteed Spurs are going to be in there, but the chance is small. Um, we're giving Arsenal a 6% chance of finishing the top four. Uh, and that's purely because Spurs only need to go to Norwich uh, and get a point because the goal difference is so superior. 
So it is very unlikely. Norwich, I think they've won maybe a handful of games, if that, all season. So the chances of them beating a Spurs team that are absolutely flying at the moment seems very, very slim to none. Um, and yeah, Arsenal, I think, I think it's harsh to say they've thrown it away. Um, they, they have obviously had some bad results, um, particularly of late. But the general progress they're making um, is, is very positive. And I, I, one, there's a couple of things, that, a couple of reasons why I think it's all fallen to pieces, really. The first one is, is getting rid of Aubameyang in January and not replacing him because that is, looks like a, a really, really poor decision by the, the hierarchy and the manager not to, at the very least, get someone else in to replace him. Because as we stand, he's currently still, even though he hasn't played for four, or five, uh, four months, he's currently their expected goal per 95 leader um, at 0.56. And we've seen what he's been doing at Barcelona. So it wasn't the fact that he couldn't play because he scored 11 goals already, averaging nearly 0.8 expected goals per 95 minutes. So uh, that was clearly just a falling out. And all right, for harmonious dressing room reasons, you get rid of him but you do need to bring someone else in because otherwise you, you're missing a, a key player in what was a very always going to be a very tight running uh, the other one the other reason is is injuries because you know Thomas Partey is a massive loss for them Kieran Tien is huge uh, Nuno Tavares isn't up to the same standard to play at left back uh, you've had Ben White out injured for quite a while as well um, those are three key players for Arsenal um, and that they're, they're really sort of injuries come at the bad, uh, bad time for them. Um, but yeah, just in general on Arsenal, the, the underlying process is trending in a really positive direction under Arteta. Um, this is actually the best Arsenal team based on expected goals that we've seen since Arsene Wenger left the club. So better than the Unai Emery teams, which I guess doesn't take too much beating, um, but better than last season as well. So they are on an upward curve, um, but compared to Spurs and Conte, the upward curve is it's not happening quick enough. Um, we, we've seen Spurs, almost like Conte's come in, clicked his fingers at Spurs and they've gone from being a bottom half team to a, a top four team. And Arteta, it seems to be taking him a long time to get things going in the right direction. So what does your model say about Arsenal Everton uh, at the Emirates on Sunday? Yeah, we're, we're, we're expecting Arsenal to get the win. We're giving them a 60% chance of doing so. Um, so around about this, the same price as what the market is suggesting right now. Um, but yeah, given the, the the sort of defensive issues that they've shown in the in the last couple of games, obviously Newcastle created plenty of good chances against them on Monday night. Spurs did the same um, last Thursday, and, and obviously I think Leeds, West Ham, Man United, Chelsea—they've all scored against Arsenal recently, and, and that comes down to the injuries, and it also comes down to the the fact that they have a little bit of a soft underbelly still, particularly with Thomas Partey missing. Um, so I was looking at both teams to score at about minus one hundred twenty-five. Um, I think Everton, even a draw would probably be a good result for Everton there. Um, and they've shown themselves in recent games that they're more than capable of creating chances and scoring goals. Calvert-Lewin's back in the fold as well now, which is a huge positive for them. Uh, Richarlison, you know, for as much as he throws himself on the floor and dives about, he's a very good footballer who knows where the net is. So, um, yeah, I, I quite like the look of both teams to score in that one. What does your model suggest, or what does the InfoGoal model suggest uh, to maybe convince me why I should be convinced in Spurs this weekend for whatever, <laughs> perhaps it's history, reputation. I just don't fully trust them. Christian Romero, uh, a, a little bit of an injury doubt this weekend yet again. Son and Kane have been so good for the Spurs team leading the line. They play North City, I get it. They've been absolutely dreadful defensively. But when we look at XG and, 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 and expected goals against, I mean, North City have only scored 12 goals at home. 
but their expected goals should be somewhere up north of 18. And meanwhile, Spurs, they've conceded 21 away from home, but their expected goals against should be somewhere near 27. So is there room for market correction? Like, is there maybe a little bit of a false sense of comfort for Spurs and their supporters heading into this weekend's game at North City? And again, we, we, we kind of spoke about it. It's going to be North City's last game in the Premier League for who knows how long with relegation ahead. So there's some extenuating circumstances here, Jake, that I'm just not fully confident that Spurs are an absolute lock to go on and win this game. You know, in yesteryear, I probably would agree with you, but I'm a massive, (laughs) I'm a massive Antonio Conte fan. uh, And I think that he, he, to me is, is up there with the best coaches in the world. And I don't think he'll let this Tottenham team slip up. Uh, Not at this stage anyway, you know, they only need a point. But I think they'll go to Norwich and make a statement. I think they'll win quite comfortably. Um, Tottenham win to nil. Cap caught my eye at, at plus 111. Um, Norwich, as you said, even even though their expected goal total is, is greater than their actual goal total, it's still an average of uh, of around one expected goal per game. That's not very good. And it shouldn't really trouble this Tottenham team who, as I said earlier, are on an absolute roll. And, and just a bit more context on the sort of turnaround that Conte's uh, has, has overseen there. When he took over, their expected goal difference per game under Nuno was minus 0.55. So that means that they were, on average, giving their opponents a 0.55 head start on an XG per game basis. Um, under Conte, it's plus 0.84. So they are, on average, 0.84 expected goals better than their opponents on a per game basis. So that's a shift of 1.39 expected goals in the right direction. Um, and since Conte took over, that is actually ranked as the third best in the Premier League, even better than Chelsea. Um, so, you know, that sort of puts into context just how good the Spurs have been uh, and the kind of job Conte's done. And if you want to look back at till 2016, he's actually got the best expected goal difference per game of any manager that's overseen Spurs. So even better than Poch. Um, Pochettino was at 0. plus 0.58 uh, from 2016 to mid-2019. And Mourinho was actually negative. Uh, and obviously, I mentioned Nuno as well. So not only is the turnaround impressive, but the manner of it, the fact that he's taken them from a relegation level process to a top four process and done it in such a quick, short space of time and on the fly with no preseason. I think it's just a miraculous job. Um, And like you said, he has had Kane and Son, which helps. Um, I think the transfer business in January has been a massive plus. Romero, you mentioned him there, has been a bit injured recently. Ben Tenkor looks a serious player uh, and I'm a big fan of Kulosevsky as well. So there's a lot of things that Tottenham have done right over the last six months, um, starting with appointing Conte. And yeah, I'm I'm fairly confident that they'll get the job done here because Norwich, as you said earlier, they're in a league of their own. They're really bad. I've been trying to find reasons why Arsenal supporters should have some kind of (laughs) optimism heading into the weekend. I even delved into Spurs have a worse XG than their opponent in their last three away games, Liverpool, Villa, Brighton. But then I'm like, none of these sides are at the level of Norwich, which is like three notches below. So I, you know, uh, although, although I don't think that Spurs are anywhere near the perfect side, Son Kane, they scored the last eight goals for Spurs. They're flying right now. Kane's hit his stride in the second half of the season, hasn't he, Jake? I mean, didn't look the player out of the gate. You, you weren't sure how, um, you know, him wanting to move away affected him, but man, he's come good under Antonio Conte. And you have to give the manager, like you said, a lot of credit for it. So I would have never thought come January that Spurs would have been the team that finished top four ever. I like just, I w- that wouldn't have been a play that I would have made. Yeah, you're probably right. And uh, I, th- I don't think too many would have, but I think as soon as they appointed Conte, I had, I had a feeling that they would, 
maybe not go top four, but it, it was a very shrewd appointment. Um, and all the, you know, all the talk about the, from the ex Manchester United players saying, oh, you know, we don't want to appoint Conte because it was around the same time that they, um, they were looking for a manager as well. They've missed out a trick. They've missed a trick because Conte is an elite manager. He's proven it in everywhere he's been. Uh, obviously, Juventus at first. He won the title with Inter Milan only last season. He's won the title with Chelsea as well. Yeah, he he's an elite manager. And um, he he's ultimately in this race for the top four, he's the difference maker. Um, he's he's given Spurs an edge over Arsenal because he's a better manager than Arteta. I always felt like that United sentiment that was anti-Conte had more to do with the Mourinho effect scars of Jose, even though they're completely different managers, but some people just put them in the absolutely the same basket, right? Like they they shouldn't be put in the same category. Yes. They've both been serial winners, but Conte still is a serial winner where Jose um, I'll I'll, I'll leave you out there to (laughs) maybe Roma go on and win the, you know, the the, The conference conference league. league. And there you go. That's their trophy on the season. Uh, Let's deal with the title race here. Will it be City? Will it be Liverpool? Man City, a point better than Liverpool. Heading into the final weekend, uh, City host Aston Villa, who also play Thursday. That could play a significant role in this one as well. Liverpool at the fortress known as Anfield. Uh, They haven't lost a Premier League match there all season. They did draw Spurs a couple weeks ago, which wouldn't be good enough, obviously, a draw this time around. They have to beat Wolves this weekend. A team that in Wolves um, were, were punching above their weight during the early stages of the season, the expected goals. And I'm assuming your model as well, uh, always knew that there was going to be a little bit of a, um, a regression by Wolves, but it's been significant over recent months. How do you look at these two games this weekend? Uh, City Villa, Liverpool Wolves. Yeah, I'll start with the Liverpool Wolves game because you've teed that up really nicely um, in terms of Wolves underlying process, because we were just, you know, apologies to Norwich fans, but we were just kind of laughing at how bad Norwich have been. But if we look over the last 17 games, only Norwich have been worse than Wolves based on underlying performance data, um, which is staggering, really. Uh, and not by much either. Uh, they're actually very close when it comes to the expected points per game, expected goal difference per game. Um, and Wolves have actually been the worst attacking team over that period as well, averaging just 0.9 expected goals for per game. So, yeah, it's not a very good time to be a Wolves fan. Um particularly heading to Anfield. Uh, not only have they been really struggling for results and, and performances, lost the XG battle in 14 of the last 17 Premier League matches. Uh, but as you said, they're, they're going to Fortress Anfield and Liverpool currently, they're on pace to to be or to go down in Infogol history as the best home team we've ever seen since we started collecting data. Um, wow. From an underlying number standpoint, yeah. So their expected goal difference per game is plus 2.08, which is just a ridiculous figure. Um, it, it basically means that on an average Premier League home game, Liverpool create two expected goals more than their opponents, which is just, it's just bonkers. Um, there's some teams that don't create two expected goals per game over an entire season. In fact, most of them don't. But to have that level of supremacy is is just absolutely off the charts. Um, and yeah, you know, they, they have a small amount of the Champions League final to look forward to as well. But um, one thing that I'm sort of, yeah, many people, most people would be, or some people would be a bit wary of the fact that they might rest and rotate for that Champions League final. I don't think Klopp's going to do that. He'll want to pile the pressure on. Um, hopefully Liverpool take a lead early in this game, puts the pressure on Manchester City as that starts to filter through. Um, but also, if you remember, I think, what year would it be? been? 20. 2011, maybe 2009, Manchester United won a Champions League final against Barcelona and they had the title wrapped up two weeks before the end of the season. 
And Ferguson rested all of his players for the final day, meaning that they hadn't played for two, two and a half weeks. And they looked like they'd not played for two and a half weeks when they played the Champions League final. Um, because, you know, particularly this Liverpool team, they play with such rhythm that they need to be playing game in and game out because otherwise they drop, the, the levels drop, the fitness levels drop, the sharpness drops. So I don't think Klopp's going to arrest anybody for this game. If the, Salah, if he's got a slight knock, he'll probably won't play. But if Virgil van Dijk can play, I think he'll be in this game. Uh, Mane will be back in this game. Um, whoever else missed, Robertson, Trent, I think they'll be back in this game. Uh, and to me, just trying to back Liverpool in some sort of, uh, some sort of way. Um, and as I said about the Wolves attacking struggles, that just sort of hammered home a Liverpool winter nil bet, which is around minus 120. Um, it, you know, it's a bet that's landed, I think, in five of the last six head-to-heads between Liverpool and, Man- and Wolves. So, it, you know, the way in which Liverpool play at Anfield, they suffocate teams. They don't really give them too many chances. And, and Wolves have more or less checked out for the season, I think. And, and, and their attack definitely has because they've been worse than Norwich over the last 17 games. 60 games Liverpool played this season. Coming out of COVID, I mean, we've seen in recent weeks, um, it hasn't necessarily been that rock star, rock star style of football all the time. I believe over the last six games, Jake, Liverpool haven't won a game by more than a goal, d- d- despite how good their modeling has been on the season. And you just wonder maybe the inspiration to get over the line maybe will change things. And it, when you're looking at a bet to make, around Liverpool this weekend, what would, it, what would it be? Would you would you bet on them to win the Premier League and City potentially slipping up? It comes in at plus 549 on Pinnacle.com. I mean, you know, if, if, if you believe in in, in, in City and in in some serious injuries in their side, which has obviously affected the, the way that they played, they're coming off a 2-2 draw against West Ham. Could have been done and dusted by this point, but they opened the you know, the, the door just that little bit. What What's the play that you're looking at this weekend based on what your modeling suggests? Yeah, the, the play from a title standpoint is to just leave it alone and enjoy it. There is, there is not a lot of value, um, unfortunately, in that market. I think I think a lot of us would want to see a bit of drama. So maybe Man City go back, go behind early doors. Um, but for, if I was to bet in, in both individual matches, I'd be taking Liverpool to win to nil, which is at minus 120. Um, and Aston Villa plus two on the Asian handicap, which is plus 110. Now, I know you said that Villa play on Thursday, um, but this is a Villa team that are very difficult to beat. Manchester City only managed to beat them 2-1 at Villa Park. They went to Anfield and lost 1-0. Liverpool only managed to beat them 2-1 at Villa Park. So they don't get blown out by the big teams. Um, and by taking the plus two Asian handicap, we basically have, um, you know, if they lose by two goals, exactly, we get our money back. So we get a nice security blanket there if City do win 2-0 or 3-1. But if, if Villa lose the game 2-1 or 1-0 or 3-2, then we get a winner. If the game's drawn, we get a winner. If Villa win the game, which, you know, they, they've got a, they've got some decent players in that squad that are capable of hurting Manchester City. So I wouldn't think it's beyond the realms of possibility Villa can actually go to the Etihad and win. Uh, we've seen some teams do that this season. I think Crystal Palace went there and won 2-0. Um, but yeah, I, I think that at that, those odds at plus 110 with a two-goal head start, I think Villa look um, a, a really solid bet because there's every chance, as you said, Manchester City have got some major defensive issues. And um, you mentioned the West Ham game. They did a great job of exposing those issues. I mean, I think as soon as Mikel Antonio saw Fernandinho was playing centre-half, he was licking his lips. He was just saying to Bowen, just dink it over the top, mate. I'll run after it. Um, and, and you know what? Villa have got the exact same players to do the same. You know, Ollie Watkins is a similar mould to Mikel Antonio. You've got Philip Coutinho who can thread the ball through an eye of a needle. 
Plus he's an ex-Liverpool player and they're managed by an ex-Liverpool legend. So I'm sure there'll be some extra motivation there. You think so? See, that's the one thing that I don't buy. I don't think that Villa players care one bit that the fact that their manager is a player that was never able to win a Premier League with <laughs> with Liverpool, I, I, I just don't buy that argument. The, the, one, the, the one factor that I just can't get past is City's a different team without Kyle Walker. Mm. And, and then you add Ruben Diaz, who's who's out. John Stones is out. Laporte, Fernandinho, Aki. None of these players are fully fit right now. So there certainly needs to be a market for an Aston Villa goal at the very least. I I, I firmly believe City have far too much in attack for Aston Villa to deal with, just especially with Villa coming off a Thursday-Sunday game. Uh, a quick turnaround for a team that hasn't had to do that too often over the course of this season. But it's those deficiencies defensively for Manchester City that can certainly make this game interesting. Absolutely, yeah. And, and it, I think, obviously, we know the pattern of the game is going to be Villa sitting back in a deep block, probably inside their own 18-yard box wave after wave of Manchester City pressure. Um, and if, you know, if the game ticks by and it's 60 minutes and Man City haven't scored yet, then all of a sudden there's going to be some nerves knocking around the Etihad, particularly if Liverpool are maybe one or two up at the time. Um, and, you know, there's always a counter-attacking threat with Villa. Uh, they've got some really, really nippy players, some crafty players, um, and they've got some good finishes at the top as well. So they only need a couple of chances to potentially get on the score sheet. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it's going to be a case of can City break Villa down? Um, and as I've said, over the, in the three meetings Villa have had against the big two, if you like, the two best teams in the league, they've proven to be very difficult to break down. And, and um, you know, I, I suspect this is going to be very similar. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if Villa get a point against Manchester City. Wouldn't It wouldn't surprise me one bit. But like you, I think that Manchester City will probably just have too much in attack. Um, you know, the options they've got are just ridiculous, aren't they? I mean, De Bruyne... Foden, Mares, Jesus, Grealish, the list goes on. They could probably well, bring another three or four off the bench. You're missing yeah. what's going to actually happen this game. Jack Grealish, match winner that seals the title. <laughs> and then the whole conversation about 100 million down the drain, well, that conversation will go down the drain. That's bound to happen to Jack Grealish goal in this game, isn't it? Like, that's like, forget the Stevie G Liverpool connection. It's Grealish and Villa in a season that's been more misses than hits for this player. I mean, this, this would be the fitting way for the season to come to an end. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'd be a great way for him to, to finish the campaign. And, and to be honest, I think he's been harshly criticized, um, Grealish, this season. Mm. Um, you know, his numbers have, they, they've not been fantastic stick at the level that we expect to see from like a De Bruyne or a Mares. But um, I think the reason he was brought in more than anything is, is for spacing because as soon as he gets the ball, two players crowd on him and it creates space yeah. for other people, other players. And, and you've seen Cancelo, who I think has been the main beneficiary, who's been playing at left back and he's been drifted into those pockets that have been vacated by uh, attacking right wingers who've come back to help track Grealish. So, it, you know, while individually he hasn't potentially put the numbers up many expected, I think he's definitely benefited the team when he has played um, and just made them a little bit more. Well, it, ma it makes it easier to break down those deep line blocks because you're creating that extra space for those players and they don't need a lot of space a lot of extra space, you know, the likes of De Bruyne, Foden, they need maybe a couple of blades of grass either side extra and they're going to make a massive difference. So yeah, I think it would be a fitting storyline. I think there's there's plenty of potential storylines over the entire weekend that, that would be really interesting. And um, and yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens because it is really, you know, it, we are thinking Manchester City are going to win the league. It's 2.7% chance according to the Infocom model, but there's still that chance of Liverpool at 17.3%. And, you know, after drawing with Tottenham, that, that chance, that percentage was actually down to 4.9. So since Manchester City have drawn with West Ham and Liverpool obviously beat Southampton, it's jumped up to 17.3, which, you know, it's 
it's still it's a considerable leap at this stage of the season. And anything can happen. Um, I was cut. I was pr- probably in the minority this week when Wayne Rooney came out and started questioning, you know, the build up to the Aguero goal that that that, that won City the title in 2012. I was with him at that time. I just remember back. QPR thought it was rugby and just was was <laughs> kicking the ball forward, just kicking it right back to Man City straight after the kickoff. So you never know what's you know what what the motivations are. You never know what's at play here. So um, I'll give Liverpool a chance this weekend. Um, what else stands out to you about this weekend's fixtures? Oftentimes, you know, there is some value to be had other, other games, potentially ones to shy away from, um, with, with, with certain teams and players having, have, having very little to play for in fairness. Um, some of them may already be, be half out the door in terms of onto their summer vacation, but uh, what else stands out to you this weekend, Jake? Um, I really like the look of Crystal Palace to beat Manchester United, uh, which is plus 197. I can't believe that they're second favourites in this game um, and that Manchester United go to Selhurst Park as favourite because the last time we saw them play away from home, they were simply tragic, Manchester United, um, losing 4-0 at Brighton. And in fact, of the last five away matches, Manchester United have lost all five by an aggregate of 16-3. So they've really checked out when it comes to road games. Um, and they're playing against a Crystal Palace team who have been one of the big underperformers this season based on expected goal numbers. They sit 13th mm-hmm. currently at the time of recording, but they've been sixth best team based on expected points and expected goals. So they, they've, you know, Patrick Vieira has done an incredible job really of turning that ship around uh, post Roy Hodgson um, and making them sort of a real force, uh, particularly at home where they've, they've been the, the, I think the fifth best home team based on all expected goal figures. Um, so yeah, all of that, Added together, Manchester United looking to the future rather than the present with a new manager coming in. Um, players potentially leaving. It look, does look as though they're potentially down tools. Um, yeah, the, the price just seems a little bit off to me and I'm happy to, to wade in on Palace. Two variables that make me nervous. I'm with you in terms of everything you said. Uh, one, United were absolutely embarrassed last time away at Brighton. They're like... These are professional players. I know they haven't acted professional this season, but you know they've had extended rest as well. They haven't had a game for what two weeks now. There has to be some kind of response, doesn't there? And the fact that today it was announced that future United manager Eric Ten Hag will be in attendance. He's going to be at Selhurst Park in the stands watching that game. Either of those factors maybe plant any kind of seed of doubt or do you just trust your model in circumstances like this? Uh, yeah, there is, there is some doubt. Um, but when it comes to placing bets and, uh, and, and wages, you've got to go with the price. Um, and I, and I think this palace price is too big. Uh, I would probably make them closer to plus one, seven, five than the plus one, nine, seven that we're getting. Um, you know, and, and that ultimately means it's a bet, you know, if even, even if it loses, if you think it should be shorter than it is as a bet, then you, you've found value and, and in the long term that will work out for you. So uh, this definitely falls into that category. I think, I think we found an edge in terms of the performance metrics of the two teams. Uh, motivation of Manchester United, as you said, could potentially be up because of the, the embarrassment and Ten Hag being in attendance. But, um, you know, the, I suppose the other, the other factor is they will want to avoid playing the Conference League. And to do that, they need to win at Selhurst Park to guarantee um, 
But yeah, that's still not enough for me to to look away from Palace. I think they'll raise their game for this final home match. Uh, we've seen them already at Selhurst Park cause real issues for the big sides. Um, they ran Liverpool really close. I think they were, they were really unfortunate with the dodgy penalty call in that game. They held Manchester City to a goalless draw. Uh, they beat Spurs 3-0. They beat Arsenal 3-0. And this Manchester United team isn't anywhere near the level of any of those four. Um, so I, I do think that the, the, at the price, this is one of the best bets of the weekend. Yeah, uh, the, the other match with direct implications on that Europa League spot, and we kind of joked about it off the top, but it's West Ham traveling to Brighton. Uh, Brighton's had a very good season. This is no slam dunk for, for West Ham this weekend, coming away with a victory. They're two points behind Man United. Um, if, if, if United do pick up a draw at Sellers Park and West Ham wins, West Ham have a vastly superior goal differential. It's not even close. I think they're plus 10 at this point. Um, what are you looking at in terms of West Ham Brighton this weekend? And is, is there a real chance here that United could be actually playing in the conference league next year? There is, there is a very real chance of that, yes. Um, but what I would say is... As I've just discussed with the Palace Man United, I think that there's some juice in the Brighton price um, at around plus one, what it, 153 at the time of recording. Um, like with Crystal Palace, Brighton are one of the bigger underperformers of the season. Even though they are currently 10th in the league, they sit 7th based on expected goal difference. Um, and, you know, the, the results at the Amex haven't been great over the course of the campaign, but their process has. Uh, and they've been really unfortunate not to have picked up more points. I think they're averaging around 1.5 expected goals for, 1.1 against. So consistently creating more and better chances than their opponents. And West Ham, they were fortunate, weren't they, not to lose to Man City. The penalty miss is ultimately what's, what's kept them in this top six race. Um, but away from home this season, they have had their problems, uh, particularly defensively. Their expected goals against per game sits around 1.7, which is fairly lofty for a team that are trying to get into the top six. It's not what we would expect to see usually. Um, obviously, counter of that is that they create a lot of chances anywhere they go. Uh, but this Brighton team have been on a real roll recently in, in attack. I think they've created two or more expected goals in five of the last eight matches. Um, they've obviously only lost once in that time, which came at Manchester City. Uh, and like you said, they're finishing with a flourish. And the reason they are, you know, we talk about motivation, West Ham trying to get in the top six. Brighton, they're trying to secure a top half finish for the first time in their history, which would be a massive achievement for Graham Potter and the club, given the sort of um, <laughs> the way in which they operate. They don't go out and spend big money on players. They do everything very smart, very analytically um, and, and within their means. So it would be a massive achievement for them to, to achieve that. And, and I do think that the price at one, uh, plus 153, I, I think that falls in the same category as the Palace price in the sense it should probably be a little bit shorter. For all this weekend's odds, go to Pinnacle.com. It should be a brilliant weekend. We just have a few moments left, Jake. I, th I feel like many supporters are already looking towards the offseason, what moves may be made and how circumstances may change things. Is there anything that jumps off the page for you, whether it's Ted Hogg to United, the potential for you know Arsenal or Spurs playing in the Champions League? I know all eyes will be on Newcastle th this summer yeah. and what their uh, transfer window looks like. Uh, what's on your radar? Well, I, I can touch on every point you've mentioned there because they're all really interesting, <laughs> aren't they? Um, first, the Arsenal Spurs, I think whoever finishes in the top four, um, I think 
will sort of run or rule North London for the next three or four years because the lure of Champions League football is uh, is massive in terms of bringing players to the club. Uh, I think if Spurs get it, I think Arsenal will not be able to touch Spurs for two or three years because they'll have Conte, they'll have the Champions League football. We've already seen a change in their transfer strategy in January, which means that they are being smarter. They're bring, bringing in players that fit a system, uh, high quality players. So all of that, in my opinion, would mean Spurs would sort of sail off into the sunset if you like uh, and, and become real top four regulars again um, United it's a difficult difficult journey for Ten Hag because he takes over a team that have got three or four managers worth of players uh, that all play different styles different systems and Ten Hag's obviously going to want to come and put his own stamp on things so it might take him a year or two to clear the decks bring his own players in uh, and, and for them to really t- click in the way that he wants them to. Uh, it's a really interesting project though, because, you know, I think he's a really good manager. I think he's, he's a very, very smart young coach uh, who's more than capable. He just needs the time and the backing really and, and the sort of patience from the players, which has been very difficult to come by in recent years uh, and the fans as well. And then Newcastle, I think they're a fascinating, fascinating um, uh, sort of project up there in Newcastle because if they do similar to what they did in January, which was bring in, again, not, not like flashy names, no big names, but really smart buys, um, the likes of Dan Byrne, who was an excellent purchase. Bruno Gimaresh, who looks just a cut above Newcastle right now. He looks fantastic. I watched him on Monday night and just thought he was brilliant. Um, you know, they brought in Kieran Trippier as well, who is a very, very smart um, old head. Uh, and if they have another window in the summer, similar to what they've done uh, in terms of strengthening around that core group of players that I think are already really set, really solid, then they could be a real challenger for the top six. And before you know it, Leicester will they'll they'll reinvest they'll they'll come back stronger next season. You've got a real challenge on your hands. You know the top two I think will stay as they are. You've got Chelsea, Spurs, Arsenal probably battling for two of the top four. Then you've got Newcastle, you've got West Ham, you've got Man United, you've got Leicester all battling for top six. Potentially Villa if they spend big again. Um, you know Wolves if they start to reinvest and, and have a start to the season like they had last season uh, this season. Then you know it, it's really setting up to be a fascinating Premier League season next season. And okay. uh, yeah, you don't want to miss it. Chelsea's the X factor. Um, yeah, what's going time. What's going on with their with their ownership? But how many defenders Chelsea are potentially losing from their squad? Let alone the Lukaku situation. But um, Alonso, Christensen, Aspilicueta, Rudiger gone to yeah. Real Madrid. I mean, that's basically they're well, starting back back five pretty much gone, isn't it? Poor Thiago <laughs> Silva is like eighty year old legs. Like it's <laughs> just I. Uh, it's uh, there's certainly a side to watch and. Um, there's going to be a lot of intrigue both on and off the field and how their transfer window will be affected by any potential embargo or um, any delay in, in, in the potential sale of the club. Uh, sure. It's going to be fascinating stuff as we move forward. Uh, again, all the odds can be found at pinnacle.com. And if you out there would like more expert insights, then head over to pinnacles betting resources section where there's over 2,500 articles to improve all aspects of your betting. And of course, for your betting, you want to give Jake a follow on Twitter. Jake, where can they give you a follow? Our listeners can follow you on Twitter. It's at Jake Oz with two Zs, J-A-K-E-O-Z-Z. Obviously follow at Pinnacle on Twitter as well. And you can follow the show weekly by doing so. And you can follow myself at Gareth Wheeler as well. Uh, This has been a lot of fun. We should probably do this again, let's say for 38 weeks for the 2022-23 season. How's that sound, Jake? This sounds fun to me. This is uh, this has been a blast. Enjoy Super Sunday, the final match day of the season. So 
Thanks, Jake, for doing this. And thank you for tuning in. This has been EPL Insights, courtesy of Pinnacle.